My name is DJ Carlos Rafael. My name is MC Winnie Plumtree. Both employees at the Crossroads Motel, no less. Yes, welcome to a celebratory edition of Project Moon Maze entitled... Man Alive! Tony Hatch at 75! <laughs> and not 80. He's not quite 80, which means he's not quite eligible for the Moon Base Hall of Fame. Close, but, but no uh, cigar. We'll come back in five years and induct him, yes, into the hall. Uh, but uh, we thought uh, five years earlier we will celebrate the great man's uh, birthday. He's written a many a fine theme tune and many a fine popular hit of the day. So we'll have a show cramp packed full of his uh, compositions. But in amongst all that, of course, we do have uh, MC Winnie Plumtree and her unnecessary news. Of this, I was instantly convinced. And here I may as well say once for all that never was it maintained by anyone, however previously sceptical, who had fully witnessed the whole, that it could be accounted for by ordinary, or as people say, natural causes. That's a fabulous piece of uh, literary work there, sir. Run, uh, oh. Running on sentences. <laughs> run, run, sentence, run! <laughs> While you're digesting the enormity of that sentence, listen, we're going to get underway by playing one of many great theme tunes that Tony Hatch wrote throughout his career. Uh, this was uh, for the BBC uh, Current Affairs and Documentary Series called Man Alive, which ran from the mid-60s. Man Alive! Man Alive! Which gave us this week's title. And, uh, yeah, from the mid-60s and through to uh, the early 80s, and which used this magnificent piece of music written by this week's birthday boy, Mr. Tony Hatch. there with uh, Man Alive from a compilation album that came out last year called TV Sound and Image, British Television Film and other stuff. Have a look for it. If you go to, <laughs> if you go to projectmoonbase.com you'll find the show notes where we have a list of all the tracks we play on the show and links to where you can find them on Amazon and iTunes. You should, you should definitely go over to projectmoonbase.com 
And uh, we've got all our social media links on there, like, for example, Twitter. Yes, yeah, so you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash Project Moonbase, and uh, facebook.com slash Project Moonbase too. And in fact, pretty much, if you go to any social media platform and just do slash Project Moonbase, it's a good chance you'll find us. We're skulking around, but you should definitely go to projectmoonbase.com because uh, that makes it easier. Something else we should probably mention, actually, is that uh, we are on Mixcloud, and Mixcloud are launching their first annual uh, online radio competition for the most loved show on the, on their platform that's us which i think could be us we're beloved <laughs> so if you go to mixcloud.com you should see on the front page a link to uh, to vote nominate and vote for your for favorite. us well for us well there won't yeah. be a link to vote for us but that's who you should be voting <laughs> for clearly come on throw us a line here <laughs> We're going to proceed now with some more, more Tony Hatch. It's pretty much all Tony Hatch on this week's show. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. He apparently he headlined recently at... Uh, well, not my headline, but he appeared at a festival in Crystal Palace, apparently, for the great Tony Hatch. It's good to see him on the big stage again. And he was inducted what? into... And he was. The, the Songwriters Hall of Fame. Wow. Even if he's not in our Hall of Fame quite yet. Well, look. It's only one day. One day. <laughs> one gong at a time, Tony. <laughs> Yes, we're going to proceed by playing a track uh, which you can get on his Sounds of the 70s album. It's an album we have featured on the show before. The terrific title track is one we've uh, played before, but we're going to play uh, a theme tune to a lost, uh, I think a lost sort of spy series that Tony Hatch wrote the theme tune for. And this whole album also is worth mentioning because it features at least two great uh, KPM uh, luminaries, that being uh, Herbie Flowers on the bass and uh, Alan Hawkshaw on the keys. So uh, it's quite a stellar lineup on this album. And you, can, you certainly could get this album in a box set of his called Hatchbox. I'm not sure how easy it is to get otherwise. But, Stop uh, gloating. Yes. If there is any... I've got it in my colossal oh, collection of treasures. Which I never look at once I've shelved. But yes, if there's any way at all of getting hold of this stuff, if you go to projectwingbrace.com, search for PMB 187, and there'll be a link to facilitate your purchase. But yes, so this is uh, Tony Hatch and the Satin Brass with his tune, Codename. <laughs> Thank you. 
Tony Hatch again there. And the Satin Brass from an album called Sounds of the 70s. That was code name from a, a short-lived and uh, not particularly well-regarded uh, TV show. Apparently nothing, nothing survives <laughs> no. in the BBC archive. <laughs> Only a solitary entry on Wikipedia, which <laughs> yes. lets us know that Alexandra Bastido mm. was in that. She was also in The Champions, which she also recorded the uh, theme tune for, didn't he? That's right, yes. Codename was a series apparently based on the activities of uh, secret organisation MI17. Wow. Because <laughs> we know there's five and six. <laughs> That's right. I'm not sure what happened to the intervening ten or twelve. Well, I don't know. But you see, I know five, one of them is one of them is for internal yes. esp- uh, espionage in the country, That's isn't right. it? And the other one is for dealing with external spies That's outside right. the country. Why do you think they started at five? What happened to MI1? Well, MI1 is, is catering. <laughs> I think a two has got a liquor licence. <laughs> Three is, is outside catering. Oh, yeah. And then four is cleaning, <laughs> and it goes on after. That's so I know I see, five I and six, you think, yeah, what are they? What are those other ones? Well, they're just they're nothing. Yeah, that's right. When you start in military intelligence, you start in MI1. You've got to start with, <laughs> we've got to start with what we're eating first, haven't we? That's right. And yeah. then eight, that's to do with uh, tents. Nine is logistics, so that's just a load of people, bookmakers and stuff. Now... Project Moonbase. If you enjoy Project Moonbase, you can help us out if you like. If you enjoy Project Moonbase and you use Amazon, I know you've heard of it. If you just head over to projectmoonbase.com and look on the top right of the uh, of the website, you will see an Amazon link. And if you click through that and then purchase whatever you choose on Amazon, we will get a tiny amount of money. It comes from their end, not yours. You don't have to pay any more for it. No. We get a tiny nugget of uh, from Amazon's coffers. And it helps support the show. You can also, if you're feeling particularly philanthropic, you can go to the website and under each edition of the show, you'll see there's three buttons with varying denominations of money, which you can use to, uh, to help us on our way. If you're feeling feeling so inclined, you can donate anything from a pound to ten pounds a month, or you can make one-off donations of any magnitude you wish. Any magnitude! <laughs> feeling as if, if you're feeling like you're approaching the end of your life and you don't want your wretched children or, or uh, other relatives scratching around in your uh, biscuit tin filled with <laughs> cash just send it to us <laughs> donate your estate to project moonbase <laughs> Bequ- bequest a bequest yeah that's right yeah. and just imagine just we imagine get... the look on their stupid faces when their lawyer explains that, that where's the money it's gone to the moon does that mean we could inherit a library somebody's library a oh. private library yeah, the shipping might be a bit expensive up here, though. <laughs> do, yeah. We don't have that much space as it is, what with the endless vault of dusty records. Uh, we've got uh, one more track before the first uh, selection of Unnecessary News Stories, and we're going to play one of many uh, popular singles uh, that uh, Tony Hatch had. Uh, in, in addition to his work as a TV theme tune composer, he started out uh, making music and producing uh, music for uh, pop stars. But in 1966, he wrote a tune actually which his 15-year-old sister, Ninette, recorded. And uh, if you're a particular fan of TV licensing... I am. You, you might have heard this tune. It was used on a TV campaign recently, but it's, uh, nevertheless, it's uh, despite that attempt to ruin it, it's a rather pleasant little tune. It's called Push a Little Button. Push a little button and you watch TV Night and 
Tony Hatch's little sister there, Ninette, with a track called Push a Little Button. Yes, recently co-opted by the licensing authorities. <laughs> Who doesn't like having to pay money for doing something that you could do free, illegally? <laughs> like fishing. Yes, that's right. Whatever, yeah. watching TV. Yeah. It just comes out of the air. <laughs> it's like magic. Why? Why? Why, why, <laughs> why don't we have to have a license for uh, breathing in oxygen, hey? Well, if any I, day now, if it wasn't for the license fee, people like Tony Hatch wouldn't get paid, uh, <laughs> and we wouldn't be able to do this show, really, or something like that. Anyway, yeah, that's we me. don't get any money from the license fee. <laughs> no, that's true. And listeners, there are people <laughs> listening to this around the world saying a television license fee. What <laughs> sort of communist claptrap? <laughs> what sort of neo-fascist <laughs> drivel is it that says you know those? You know those rays that zap through the air? You have to pay for those. Those cost money. Those are expensive rays. Yes. We should run to the BBC and take take it over like they do in various Latin American countries and then start... You can, we can install you as, as kind of a general bongo boy or general yeah. Carlos Rafael. Your name is perfect. This, like I start host, hosting my eight hours a day chat show. Yeah, where, where you're just giving incredibly long-winded speeches about <laughs> the economics of banana production. Let's do it. Do you think it was some sort of comment on the, the modern world? It seems to be exactly that, yes. He was sick of buttons even back then. <laughs> I know. Stop just, with all these buttons. And that, was, that was only when there was one button on the remote control. Yeah, we just said BBC. <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> we shall be returning with an absolutely sensational version of one of Tony Hatch's most popular tunes very shortly, dear listener. First of all, though, we're going to pull into the motel of unnecessary news. If the authors of a new study are to be believed, we hate sitting quietly so much that we're willing to give ourselves electric shocks in order to avoid being left alone with our thoughts. <laughs> I can understand that. Mm-hmm. Researchers at Harvard and the University of Virginia put people in an empty room for 6 to 15 minutes and asked them to do nothing. <laughs> I could easily do that. <laughs> yeah. I spend a lot more time than that sitting in my hutch just <laughs> waiting. Waiting for the A-Team video to rewind. When they were done, they were asked if they enjoyed it. About half of them didn't. <laughs> People said they had difficulty concentrating and their mind tended to wander. <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> the researchers asked people to set some time aside for thinking at home. In general, the participants enjoyed this even less. <laughs> and about a third of them admitted they cheated and started checking their phone or browsing the interwebinets. <laughs> It sounds like the researchers were getting quite bored themselves here because they then asked some participants whether they would pay to avoid getting an electric shock. That sounds a bit more of a threat than anything else, doesn't it? More of a threat than an experiment. Yes. How much would you pay to not get an electric shock right now? Most said that they would pay to avoid getting an electric shock, but given 15 minutes on their own in an empty room, two-thirds of the male participants ended up giving themselves an electric shock to avoid the tedium of their own company. One guy skewed the results. Oh, yes. 
he uh, gave himself 190 shocks in 15 minutes. <laughs> so that rather skewed the results when we said they had to hit him out. But even a quarter of the women involved also gave themselves a jolt rather than sit alone with their thoughts. Why? Researchers suggest that the brain is a difficult thing to control and most people would rather avoid the trouble. <laughs> That's a good finding, I like it. It's explaining a lot of television, isn't it? <laughs> yes. When you sit down thinking, this is absolute rubbish, how did this get on air? Well, because it's better than your own thoughts, that's why. <laughs> so the results may indicate that although we complain that we're being persecuted by smartphones, emails and Twitter, we actually prefer them to silence. <laughs> but maybe we should just throw all that junk out and just give everyone a cattle prod. <laughs> so we can go around just zapping each other. What better, do you think? Better than conversation, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Nice day for it. <laughs> Next time you're at the hairdressers or barbers and... Mm, where are you going on holiday? <laughs> <laughs> Terrifying news here. And this is the actual headline. From the Scotsman. <laughs> Scots gingers could be made extinct <laughs> thanks to sun. <laughs> now, is it okay to go around calling people with red hair gingers? That seems a little wrong, doesn't it? I mean, if this were in the Daily Telegraph or the Mirror, you would just think, oh, oh I see. But this is the Scotsman. I mean, this is the Scottish paper of record that is the record. Anyway, Scotsman seems to think this is okay. Redheads could become extinct as a result of increasingly sunny skies above Scotland, according to experts. No! <laughs> The gene that causes red hair is thought to be an evolutionary response to cloudy skies, allowing inhabitants to get as much vitamin D as possible, which you normally get from sunshine, but there is none. (laughs) But if predictions of rising temperatures and blazing sunshine turn out to be correct, it could spell doom for carrot tops within a few (laughs) centuries. Centuries, few for a minute there. I thought, you know, if, if we had if we had a nice hot summer, Karen Gillian was going to be just killed, dead, burnt to a crisp. Last year, it was revealed that red-headed individuals are a hundred times more likely to develop melanoma. Oh, crikey! Happy birthday! Hello. A particular gene mutation that colours red hair and gives people pale skin leads DNA in skin cells more prone to damage by sunlight. It's just they're surprised. That's what it is. <laughs> the shock of it. Dr. Alistair Moffat, managing director of Gala Shields base Scotland's DNA. He's got it all. He's <laughs> scraping all the DNA together into a biscuit tin. Said of the hypothesis, we think red hair in Scotland, Ireland and the north of England is an adaption to the climate. Dot, dot, dot. Which is horrible. <laughs> I think the reason for light skin and red hair is that we do not get enough sun and we need to get all the vitamin D we can. Climate change could see a decline in the number of people with red hair in Scotland. It would take many hundreds of years for this to happen. So red hair and blue eyes are not adapted to a warm climate. You don't see a lot of red-headed people in Africa. Well, you do see some, don't you? You do. Have you seen You just see the occasional one. We know why. (laughs) Some Scotsman. In Africa. I don't know. Dot, dot, dot. Some historical atrocity. Anyway, let's gloss over that, shall we? Yeah. Another leading scientist who asked not to be named. (laughs) because of the theoretical (laughs) fascist nature of his work, said, I think the regressive gene is slowly dying out. Regressive gene? Have you seen Karen Gillian? (laughs) You so-called scientist. (laughs) It's just a theory, but the recessive gene may be likely to be lost. The recessive gene could be in danger, he said. 
So sometimes they say regressive, sometimes they say recessive. <laughs> there is a difference. The, there is. But yeah. I don't know what the difference is in, in terms of DNA no. or genes. So, no. um, listeners, you decide. <laughs> hashtag recessive, hashtag regressive. Mm. Only 1-2% to of the world's population has red hair, but in Scotland this figure is about 13%, with 65,000 people believed to have ginger hair. Well, they're not believed to have ginger hair, aren't they? I mean, you can tell just by looking at them. It's not a faith-based situation. No, you just look right at them and you can see it sprouting from their heads. Edinburgh and the surrounding area was found to be a hotspot for the ginger gene, with 40% of the population believed to be carriers. It's not a disease. (laughs) While only 29% of those in the north and west are believed to have the gene. Do we extrapolate from this that eventually all Scotsmen will be of dark skin? I have no idea. And the whole place will just be covered in jungle. <laughs> all I can say is, redheads, please, make sure you wear sunscreen. There's no sense giving in to the inevitable just yet, is there? <laughs> Full of helpful advice here. Yeah, we care. We care about you. Karen. <laughs> this is good news. Fart smells have big health benefits as Exeter scientists. Smelling flatulence could help ward off cancer, stroke, heart attacks and dementia, according to Exeter scientists. Farts are the new panacea. And they're free. They're free free for the moment until you need your license. Husbands everywhere. Let out a long, <laughs> deep fart. Researchers at Essex University said uh, it's toxic in large doses. Oh, well, <laughs> suck that back in. But in tiny amounts, it helps protect cells and fight illness. A study published in the Journal of Medical Chemistry Communications found the smell of flatulence has secret health benefits. And hydrogen sulfide is one of a number of potent smelly gases produced by bacteria as it breaks down food in the gut. According to the scientists, the chemical helps to preserve mitochondria, which drive energy production in blood vessel cells and regulate inflammation. And without it, the cell can switch off and die. Oh, Oh, no. They uh, believe it will help prevent or reverse mitochondrial damage, which is a key strategy in treating conditions such as stroke, heart failure, diabetes, arthritis, dementia and (laughs) ageing. Farts will keep you young! (laughs) We've found the elixir of youth. (laughs) Youth, eternal youth! (laughs) Researcher Dr Mark Wood said, although hydrogen sulphide is well known as a pungent, foul-smelling gas in rotten eggs and flatulence, it is naturally produced in the body and could in fact be a healthcare hero. Healthcare hero! With significant implications for future therapies for a variety of diseases. Phototherapy. Phototherapy! Make it happen. So, next time someone complains when you cut the cheese, remind them I am helping you ward off cancer, stroke, heart attacks, and dementia. You are welcome. You have been used! Soccer. Thank you, Amos Iconium. Thank you, sir. For that demented <laughs> selection of news stories. There'll be more later on in the show. When you're alone and life is making you lonely, you can always go downtown. 
delightful sound of uh, Mrs Miller not just uh, beautiful singing but uh, some beautiful whistling yes that was <laughs> Mrs Miller trilling away there she's got a real talent for whistling <laughs> she has she should probably stick to that she... <laughs> <laughs> makes me wondering why we didn't feature her in our whistling and yodeling show actually we should we should, uh, we should make sure we do that next time we, we have a whistling and yodeling show if you go to projectmoonbase.com yes uh, PMB 056 is a show made up entirely of whistling and yodeling called whistle while you yodel mm. and i don't think it features it doesn't feature mrs miller but uh, it does yeah. feature lots of other it marvelous does. musicians it certainly does and when we get around to doing uh, volume two <laughs> that, which we're going to call now that's what i call whistling and yodeling <laughs> that's what we're gonna that's what we're gonna call every show from now on the new it? convention the new, for the new convention yeah, we were going to call this show Now That's What I Call Tony Hatch's 80, or Tony Hatch at 80, <laughs> and then we realised he wasn't. Yes, I led you down the wrong garden it's path. It's Tony's fault. Just well, get older. Get older. What are you doing? And <laughs> make it sharpish. I'm glad to say he's a, mere, he's a strapping mere 75. He's a, a young whippersnapper at that <laughs> age. Is. But I, I'm afraid, nothing to do with Tony, but I did have to register a complaint. <laughs> because, it, because this goes against this whole show. This whole show is out of order. <laughs> it goes against the, the constitution of the moon base, which states quite clearly... Paragraph. 
that uh, no individual under the age of 80 shall be allowed into the, the great cathedral of approbation. Some of you have to wait even longer. Edmundo Ross didn't get in until he was 100. <laughs> no. Well, he was, I think he was 100 long before the show started. <laughs> so we couldn't have made it happen any sooner. That's right. He didn't complain. No, but as I say, we we'll, we we'll return to this theme in five years' time, and then officially welcome Tony Hatch into the. Do you think he's going to do anything for his eightieth in the in the intermediate time? Well, any new material that we can put in? He might, he might get do. to it. I'm sure he's still got a few TV theme tunes in him. He's still got an evil twinkle in his eye. I'll give him that. <laughs> yes, he has actually. Now, some describe uh, Tony Hatch and Petula Clark as Britain's answer to Burt Bacharach and Dion Warwick. I'll leave that. Who? I'll leave that hanging. Who, who did that? Who I'll said leave that? that hanging in the air. According to Tony Hatch, some people describe Bert Bacharach as the American Tony Hatch. <laughs> <laughs> Whether any of these things are true, I don't know. Moving but, on. Um, one of the many hits that uh, uh, Tony and Pet had together, Call Me. We have a sensational instrumental version of that coming up by, strangely enough, David McCallum. Uh, yes, he indeed. plays the core anglais. Apparently, he does does play the core anglais. Does he play it on this? We don't know. <laughs> Listen never, carefully, listeners. It's never it's never entirely clear. He released two albums which feature him doing, I think, arrangements and playing a bit of horn here and there. I but, we like to think of these albums being David McCallum adjacent. <laughs> yes, because it's not entirely clear what he does. <laughs> what he does. What I would like to think <laughs> is that he comes in. Lays down a core anglais track, <laughs> and then everybody else records their stuff, and then they delete the core anglais if it doesn't fit. Which, yeah. let's face it, probably won't. It do. doesn't fit in most places, does it? Right. Do you think he just comes in, just comes around people's houses, doing a bit of core <laughs> anglais? David, no. <laughs> it's better without. Put that away. <laughs> Tries to come through the door. It's quite large. <laughs> no, they're just pushing on the horn. Get it. Get get out. <laughs> you can come in if you put the horn outside. <laughs> I don't know what he is doing, though, on this album. <laughs> Nobody knows, but it's good.
the splendiferous sound there of David McAllen with uh, his rendition of Call Me. And uh, that is, uh, well, that was originally on a twofer album, uh, David McAllen, A Part of Me, and then A Bit More of Me. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't say which bits, but no. you've at least got a couple of bits there. That's right. Of David. Two bits. Should you want them. Hmm. And should you want them, you can just go to projectmoonbase.com, PMB187, and there should be a link which will enable you to purchase that very twofer. Um, we're going to play a track from uh, Tony Hatch's second album in his, uh, under his own name, as it were, an album of Latin arrangements called A Latin Happening, which came out in uh, 1966. There are a couple of original tunes on this album, but we're going to play one of uh, his covers, which is his version of uh, Black is Black.
Tony Hatch there with his cover version of the Eric Sidde track Out of This World from an album called The Easy Project 2 House of Loungecore and before that the Tony Hatch sound with his uh, cover version of Black is Black. Yes, Out of This World is uh, originally written by Eric Sidde. It was used as a, a theme to, I think, an ABC series of kind of uh, weird, the weird and wonderful world of the paranormal. And um, there's a, an Australian label called Dual Planet who have just released uh, one of Eric Sidde's more experimental, uh, I think, library music albums originally, which was used on Doctor Who and all sorts of other um, TV programs. Hopefully we'll bring that to you on a future edition of Project Moonbase. We shall be returning to the world of Tony Hatch very shortly, dear listener. But uh, first of all, we are going to crack open the minibar of Unnecessary. News. It's official. Snowballs are in fact cakes, says Taxman. <laughs> Two Scottish confectionery firms have been awarded a tax rebate of almost three million pounds. Wonderful. After judges carried out a taste test and ruled a snowball is a cake. And not a biscuit, <laughs> which any fool knows. <laughs> yes. I don't know why we need a, a special committee to work out this. Neither do I, but can I join that committee? <laughs> <laughs> Tunnocks and Lees had both been landed with a colossal tax bill on the popular marshmallow-filled sweets they make, but HM Revenue and Customs was ordered to return tax already paid after judges agreed the treat should be exempt from the charge. Judges Anne Scott and Peter Shepherd of the First Tier Tax Tribunal tested a plate of treats including Jaffa Cakes, Bakewell <laughs> Tarts and Meringues, all classified as cakes for tax purposes. Both companies had appealed after they refused to accept the taxman's claim that the snacks were standard-rated confectionery. <laughs> Now Lees of Scotland will be reimbursed £2,057,497 and Tunnocks will receive £805,956 after they both won their appeals. An HMR spokesman said, We are considering the court's decision carefully. Miss Scott said, we found that the plate looked like a plate of cakes. <laughs> we were also left with samples of all of these together with Tunnock snowballs. We tasted all of them in moderation, <laughs> either at the hearing or thereafter. <laughs> a snowball looks like a cake. It is not out of place on a plate full of cakes. A snowball has the mouthfeel of a cake. <laughs> One of my least favourite words, by the way. Yeah, mouthfeel. <laughs> no, no, don't feel my mouth. <laughs> Step away. The judge has also described snowballs, which are boiled rather than baked, as very fragile, very sweet, <laughs> and observed that their mallow core was similar to that found in tea cakes. Hmm. She said the tribunal was wholly agreed that a snowball was a confection to be savoured, but not whilst walking around. Or, for example, in the street. <laughs> Don't eat a snowball in the street! Who is it? It's not for her to say when you enjoy a snowball. Well, she works for the tax tribunal, <laughs> so it is for her to say. And you are not allowed to eat a snowball in the street! She said most people would want to enjoy a beverage of some sort whilst consuming a snowball. Most people. You must enjoy it with a beverage. Otherwise she'll be down on you like a ton of bricks! It would often be eaten in a similar way and on similar occasions to cakes. For example, to celebrate a birthday in an office. <laughs> really? What? <laughs> she went on. I bet she did. 
<laughs> Most people would prefer to be sitting while eating a snowball, preferably with a plate or a napkin or a piece of paper or even just a bare table so that the pieces of coconut which fly off do not create a great deal of mess. I'm glad she's here. I'm enjoying you? all these definitions, but although I have to say they all apply to biscuits too. More or less. We'll Pretty much. skip over that. Look, that kind of observation is going to cost Lee's three million pounds. Although by no means everyone considers a snowball to be a cake, we can find that these facts mean that the snowball has sufficient characteristics to be characterised as a cake. For all these reasons, the appeal succeeds. A spokesman for Tunnock said the company welcomed the news but did not want to comment further because the ruling may be appealed against by the taxman within the next 56 days. Clearly, they feel retribution. The earth turns, the snowballs may again become biscuits... <laughs> and again, they will have a colossal bill on their hands and some splaining to do. I think if they do end up winning overall, though, definitively, that there should be free snowballs all around there, shouldn't there? They could, they could afford to buy everyone a snowball, couldn't they, in, in the UK? The tax, the tax <laughs> no, man. No, tonics. With, think, that, with their windfall of tax back. Well, it's not really a windfall, no. is it? It's more like returning the money. money that they shouldn't have paid in the first place. It would be better if tax money went towards buying snowballs for the, yeah. everyone in the country rather than say, BOMBS! <laughs> the murdering people! But that's just me. Maybe edit that out. <laughs> Women eat dog food for a month <laughs> to prove it's just as nutritious as human food. There's no such thing as human food. It's just food. It's food, yeah. A pet store owner in Richland, Washington, is putting herself in her client's shoes, and her clients are dogs and cats. <laughs> Dorothy Hunter has decided to eat nothing but pet food for 30 days. The challenge began on June 19th, and so far she's loving it. <laughs> her goal is to prove that food for pets can be just as nutritious and delicious as human food. You would be surprised how tasty dog and cat food can be when it's made, right, said Dorothy, the owner of Paws, Natural Pet Emporium. You really are what you eat, and it's the same for your pets. I decided to eat this food for a month just to prove how good it tastes, as well as showcasing nutrition. You're not a dog. <laughs> Hunter was stocking the shelves in her store one day when she got hungry. I didn't have time to go and get a snack, so I grabbed a bag of treats off the <laughs> counter. And I was like, wow, you know, these read better than the normal people's treats, she said. So I started eating the treats, and I was like, you know, I could do this for 30 days. <laughs> yeah, that explains a lot, doesn't it? That little quote explains great, quite a lot. Great quote. A few weeks into the challenge and she's still eating nothing but cat and dog food. <laughs> Flakes of salmon and freeze-dried chicken, as well as freeze-dried green beans and carrots. I'm even doing some canned food. One is a succulent chicken, and it actually tastes really good. So I'm happy with that one. She will only be eating the pet food that is sold at her store. Everything is carefully selected for its nutritional value, she said. She believes in her product so much that she's willing to feed the stuff to her family and employees. Do they have a choice? <laughs> Amanda Kempf, who works for Hunter, said, My kids love dog treats as well, and I don't mind them eating it, because I need the job. <laughs> Everything is labelled here, so you know what you're buying, and you know you're buying nutrition. Dog nutrition? Mm. You're not a dog! <laughs> The experiment, Hunter said, isn't about taste. She's trying to spread a bigger message. Learn about what you're eating and what you're feeding your pets. A great lesson, but one undermines somewhat since it's coming from someone who is eating dog food. <laughs> if I can't eat it, I won't sell it, she said, because animals are important to me. Do you think she heats up the dog food or does she just eat it straight from the I think the can? she just opens the can and just spoons it straight into her mouth. Maybe she puts it into a dog bowl and just gets on all fours and eats it out of that. 
Alright, good luck. Hope you don't die. <laughs> and finally, how about a nice emotional onion notebook? Mm. A notebook manufacturer, Magnus Ferris, recently launched a quirky new product, the Onion Notebook. Due to its name, the notebook will make you cry every time you scribble something in it. Thankfully, it doesn't smell like an onion, but it does have the same effect as cutting one. The pages of the Onion Notebook have been treated with allylpropyl compounds, the same ones found in onion oil, which are responsible for bringing tears to people's eyes. You don't have to chop up the pages for the oil to work, you just have to write on it. The friction of writing on the page will evaporate the compounds, releasing their tear-inducing gas into your face! Mm. <laughs> the perfect gift mm. for a loved one. <laughs> According to Thomas, the CEO of Magnus Ferris, we all spend a lot of time writing in notebooks, but we never have been emotionally moved by them. So he wanted to change that by introducing a revolutionary product that we use to make notes in a dramatic way. And what better way to do that than with an onion? Mm -hmm. The onion note, it breaks new ground, he said, and we promise it will bring you a completely new sensation. The ads for the onion note are really quite hilarious. One of them shows a young boy bursting into tears as soon as he puts pencil to paper. It appears as though he is perhaps composing some mournful teenage <laughs> poetry, the way he's bawling, but uh, he only ends up writing, New York is a big city. <laughs> Another woman seems to be scribbling a deeply profound message in Japanese while weeping, but what she's actually writing is, there's pudding in the refrigerator. <laughs> Prices and availability for the onion note are yet to be announced, but it looks like it will be hitting Japan soon, which is inevitable, isn't it? It is rather, yeah. You have been used. Katara. Thank you, Mrs. Conium. Thank you, sir. For that uh, tear-inducing selection of news stories. There'll be more on next week's show.
we tried hard to find some chip tune for this <laughs> this week's show. It was a bit of a struggle, mm. and uh, I was quite surprised with the result that we, <laughs> we came up with, which was a Swedish chip tune version of the theme to Emmerdale, <laughs> which which you've just heard there, dear listener. Perhaps slightly thrown off by the odd uh, MIDI piano at the beginning, but... Uh, yes, it starts off very sort of conventional sounding, and then does. suddenly it hits the, the sci-fi thrusters, doesn't yes. it? And we get a little bit of Italian disco, space disco <laughs> effect. Yes, it's a very odd choice of a theme to do. That was a gentleman called Patrick Detter, who records under the name of the Cybercarm Project, and he's got loads of stuff up on his uh, SoundCloud page. Again, if you go to Project Moonbase, there'll be a link to enable you to listen to his work. I like the fact that he's reimagined Emmerdale as a sort of <laughs> yes, gal- <yeah>. galactic enterprise <laughs> of some kind. I quite like to see that version of the show. Yeah. <laughs> I imagine it might be a little bit like Future Armour with cows. <laughs> One can dream. One can dream. Uh, we have time for two more tunes on this week's uh, birthday celebration, celebrating 75 years of Tony Hatch on this planet. Why aren't you 80? Why why, aren't, why, why couldn't you be 80? Waiting, waiting, <laughs> waiting. And uh, we're going to go out with two original compositions. The first one from his, uh, which appears on his uh, debut album, The Tony Hatch Sound, from uh, 1965, uh, which, amongst other things, has is, is an instrumental album which can, has uh, includes instrumental versions of his hits, such as Downtown and Sugar and Spice. But uh, he kind of flirts with Exotica, actually, at one does point. he? He does. Where is he from? For exotic Pinner in Middlesex. He's from Pinner. <laughs> so he's a he's a. I don't know what would that be. What is what would that be called? A Pinnerist? Um, <laughs> Pinneronian. Yeah. But he has. He did spend quite a lot of time in Australia, and I think he now lives on Menorca. So uh, he has. He has kind of you know seen very exotic parts of the world. I he's suppose. soaked up the sun. He the- has. He's not just lived in Pinner. No. From Pinner to Paradise. <laughs> to Paradise. And we have a hint of the Down Under, actually, on this next tune. Uh, this is a Tony Hatch composition entitled Maori.
the exotic sound of Pinner there. <laughs> Tony Hatch and his orchestra with a track called Maori mm. from uh, an album called The Tony Hatch Sounds. And no, it really is an exotic sound of Exotica, isn't it? I believed <laughs> it. It. Yeah. it captured it very that well. Humming. That mast humming was very, very effective. He's good, though, isn't he, Tony? Whatever you want to say. I mean, I know <laughs> I, I certainly have memories of him just castigating people. And <laughs> on new faces. On, on various TV yeah. shows, including new faces. Yes. So that I have a slight, there's a slight bitterness, <laughs> I must admit, to my memory of Tony. But um, he does put together a good tune, doesn't he? <laughs> he does. I thought you might quite like, I quite, I quite like a bit of a castigation. It's quite good, isn't it? <laughs> I, yeah. I, I think I think at some point, though, it, it, you know, you can you start to feel... A certain sympathy with uh, the victims, poor victim of this sort of un- unremitting stream of uh, professionalism, evil, evil professionalism. Evil professionalism, yes. I have been DJ Carlos Rafael. I hope you've uh, all been nice to one another on this week's edition of the Show, dear listener. I have been MC Winnie Plumtree, and always remember, you're a star, you're a star. A gold lame suit and a guitar. We're going to leave you with uh, Tony Hatch's favourite theme tune of the theme tunes that he composed no it was just his favorite theme tune and he just had to compose it <laughs> yes, quite probably it's a subtle difference um you can get this on all sorts of compilations i've got this on uh, 1974 an album we've we've dipped into before which uh won our hearts not only because it features a tony hatch standing on a motorway pedestrian crossing Observing the Observe. futuristic <laughs> vista that is the motorway. That's right. Probably the M6. The, indeed. Um, the Hit the Road to the Theme Land is the album, and this is his favourite theme, which was his brilliant theme to uh, Sports Night. And if you like uh, a sports theme, then uh, you can tune in to PMB 186 uh, all over the World Cup, which is packed full of uh, sporting themes. But we're going to leave you with uh, Tony Hatch's own contribution to that genre. Until next week, dear listener, Hit, hit the, the Road.
Control eighteen degrees to the left, and next week on Project Moonbase we bring you vision receiver 